On this show, we discuss crimes that are often graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Today is all about what not to eat. We're going to take a peek through the window into the world of the cannibal killers who plague humanity. Is there a common thread? At what point did they decide to cross that line? Let's see if we can find out. I'm your host, Paulette, and this is Crime Biscuit. Cannibalism. That's a word just about all of us understand. The eating of human flesh is so taboo and horrifying that most of us cannot begin to understand how one human, no matter how depraved, could eat another. We, in general, are repulsed by murderers, some more than others, and we weigh them on a scale of how horrific the crimes they committed are. But I'd bet that most of us would put cannibals on a scale belonging just to them. Mutilations and torture, they are kind of the worst of the worst. And yet, cannibalism pushes the line of what we can wrap our heads around. Eating human flesh is the one step too far that most of us don't want to spend any real time thinking about. But today, I'm going to make you think about it. I'm going to take a mad dash to the lineup of twisted human beings who made a habit of eating what should never be eaten. But first, let's talk about cannibalism in general, just for the fun of it. Not that eating people is fun. Anthropophagy, that is the official name for cannibalism. The word cannibalism comes from the Spanish name for the Carib, which was a West Indies tribe known for practicing cannibalism. According to Britannica.com, a lot of the early accounts of cannibalism were probably exaggerated. The practice of cannibalism until modern times did occur in West and Central Africa, Fiji, New Guinea, Australia, among the Maoris of New Zealand, in various tribes of North and Central America, as well as some other places. Human flesh was seen in some regions as a form of food, even the equivalent of animal food. This is witnessed by the Melanesian term long pig. I've seen movies and stuff where they say long pork, but it's long pig. When the Maoris were victorious in battle, they would sometimes cut up the dead and feast on the flesh. The Batak of Sumatra also reportedly sold human flesh in the markets before the Dutch took control of the area. Ritual murder and cannibalism in Africa were often connected to witchcraft or sorcery. They would consume bits of the bodies or heads of dead enemies to absorb their vitality. The Aztecs practiced cannibalism on a large scale as part of the ritual religious sacrifice of war captives. There was also the practice of endocannibalism, which was the body of a dead person being eaten by his or her relatives as an act of respect. For the record, any of my family or friends listening do not eat me when I'm dead. Unless, of course, we are stranded on a mountaintop after a plane crash, and the only way to live is to eat the dead. Then maybe, but maybe not. I'm not sure. So I'll amend it a little bit to my family and friends. If we are stranded on a mountaintop and I'm already dead and you are about to die of starvation, go ahead and nibble on me. 
but I don't promise that I'll taste very good. Before we dive into our list of cannibals, I found seven surprising facts about cannibalism, which is an article on Vox.com, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Number one, humans are pretty much hardwired to not eat each other. Well, I'd say that's a damn good thing. Did you know that there is a disease that is associated with eating someone's brain? What I'd like to know is how they had enough cases to figure that out. The disease is called Kuru, and it's kind of like mad cow disease. You eat some brain and get Kuru, then you start trembling, and then you die. That alone is enough to make me never want to eat anybody's brain. Not that I'd want to. Number two. Animals are also usually hardwired to not eat their own kind, but not always. There are some frogs and spiders and maybe some other animals that do it, but usually it's for reasons like eliminating future rivals. I know that lions will sometimes kill off the cubs of other male lions, but that's so that the female will want to mate again. I don't think they eat the cubs, they just kill them, which is terrible, but they don't eat them. If I had my way, I think that spiders should eat each other. And then when there is only one left, we stomp on it. Arachnophobia worldwide solved. And yes, I know, spiders are beneficial and are important to keeping the population of insects under control. But I am scared of them, and my fear wins out. Now, if we could just find a way to make clowns go away, I would be a happy camper. Number three, the word cannibalism is named after people who might not have been man-eaters after all. Like I said earlier, it comes from the Spanish word that was given to a Caribbean tribe. Some scholars argue that the tribe didn't really eat their defeated enemies. They think it was just Spanish propaganda to make people afraid of this tribe. But on the other side of the coin, there is also evidence that the Caribs did use body parts as trophy. So maybe they were cannibals. Regardless, the name cannibal has stuck and it is what history has made it. Number four, cannibalistic rituals were sometimes very complex ordeals. The tupi were from what is now known as Brazil, and these tupi would often let their captives live with them for months before they ate them. They would taunt the future victims with threats of their coming death. It seemed that the captors would sing these threats, and the captives would sing back their response. Now that's just bizarre. I don't think my first instinct to being told I'm going to be eaten would be to sing. Number five, cannibalism was practiced in colonial America. In 2013, archaeologists found evidence in the markings on the skull of a 14-year-old girl that made them strongly believe she'd been eaten by settlers in the winter of 1609. This was supposedly a particularly bad winter, and this cannibalism, if true, appears to have happened out of desperation. We can't know either the girl was maybe dead and they'd resorting to eating her or if they'd killed her to eat her. Number six, the Donner Party. The Donner Party wasn't just about cannibalism. But when you try to connect the dots between the words America and cannibalism, we probably all do it with the Donner Party. This is the famous story of travelers who resorted to eating each other while stuck in the snow-covered Sierra Nevada mountains in 1846. There were over 300 articles in the newspapers published in 1847, and mostly they referred very sparingly to cannibalism. There was some talk of treasure, 
I think that came later. But in these 300 articles, when they talked about it, it was said that they only resorted to cannibalism after they'd eaten the boiled bones of animals, animal hides, and even a beloved pet dog named Uno. It was more about desperation than just the shock value of the cannibalism. And finally, number seven. Cannibalism was, on occasion, used as a medical treatment. In Germany, between the 1600s and the 1800s, executioners had themselves a little side job to earn extra money. That job was selling leftover body parts to be used as a medicine. Apparently, human fat was a good remedy for broken bones, sprains, and arthritis. It would be made into a balm and rubbed on, so not eaten. There were apothecaries that kept human fat, flesh and bones, on hand for some godforsaken reason. Also, human skulls were reportedly ground into a powder and mixed with a liquid as a treatment for epilepsy. No thank you. Well, we are about nine minutes in and we have yet to get to the list, so no more history. On to the cannibals. Let's start out the list with a German cannibal, Joachim Kroll, also known as the Duisburg Maneater. Kroll is special in the sense that according to Listverse, he didn't escalate upwards from killing, like serial killing, to cannibalism. He jumped right on in, eating human flesh at the get-go. Almost like cannibalism was the driving force, the end game. Kroll ended up being attached to 14 murders, but by his own admission, there might have been more that he just couldn't remember. Something else that made him special, for lack of a better word, he cannibalized almost all all of his victims. That sets him apart a bit from the others. All of Kroll's victims had been stripped, raped after death, and all had pieces of flesh removed from them. Kroll claimed that the murders were simply a way to compensate for the inability to get his hands on regular food. If that were true, then I'd have to wonder why he raped his victims. That doesn't have anything to do with getting your hands on regular food. At the age of 22, Kroll committed his first murder in 1955, he stabbed a 19-year-old girl to death. Her disemboweled body was found in a barn. The police would eventually be out looking for the killer of five young women. All of them were found in small villages in West Germany. They'd all been strangled or stabbed, all raped and mutilated. And the cuts weren't just normal cuts either. Parts of them had been removed. These parts were taken from places like the belly, the thighs, or the buttocks. And these cuts were all kind of, and this was not my word, stake shaped. This gives the police a pretty good idea that they are looking for a cannibal killer. Kroll goes about this nasty culinary routine for 20 years. It isn't until 1976 that he is caught. Four-year-old girl is missing and the police are still out looking for the girl and for the killer of these other women and they're near a building where Kroll happened to live. One of his neighbors approaches the police and says that we have clogged pipes. This neighbor then goes on to say that when he asked Kroll if he had any idea what was causing the clogged pipes, Kroll had replied, quote, guts. I assume that this is like a rooming house type situation because Kroll had told that neighbor not to use the upstairs bathroom, which was a communal bathroom, because he'd clogged the toilet with guts. Anyway, it turns out that it was indeed what he claimed. The pipe was clogged by the little girl's intestines. When police go into Kroll's place, they find a severed little girl's hand cooking in a pot on the stove. 
It's discovered that Kroll had only a third grade education and an IQ of 76, which as a side note, he has in common with another loser on our list. The low IQ might actually explain how he got away with his crimes for such a long time. Police are out looking for some smart, murdering mastermind, not someone so wholly simple as Kroll. Kroll died in 1991 of a heart attack in prison. Next up is Arthur Shawcross, a.k.a. the Genesee River Killer. This sparkling example of human garbage killed 14 people between 1972 and 1989. The trail of victims began with two children in New York State. The end of his spree was his conviction for killing 10 prostitutes. He says that his love of cannibalism started when he was in the Vietnam War. A lot of people think, like I sometimes do, that most of these purported cannibals are just exaggerating the cannibalism to make themselves bigger, scarier, whatever. But this dude, when he talks about his crimes, he is very nonchalant about it, like it just is what it is. In fact, the metal band Cannibal Corpse used samples of him talking about his crimes in one of their songs. And he is saying this, I just took that knife and I cut her from her neck down to her anus and I cut out her vagina and I ate it. Now that is not exactly the kind of thing I want to hear in a song. I might cover him in dup someday, so I'm not going to go into too much more detail, but know this. He had 13 victims that we know of, I should say, that might have been reduced to two had authorities kept their hands on him. He was arrested for the first two killings, that of 10-year-old Jake Blake and 8-year-old Karen Ann Hill. He got a plea deal for confessing. What was that plea deal? Manslaughter for killing Karen and no charges for Jake. I guess because there wasn't a ton of evidence, that's why they did the deal. He got 25 years for that. He only served 15 and got out in 1987, and that gave him time to kill again and again and again. I am not a big fan of plea deals. I'm going to say that right now. But my own feelings aside, it is what it is. Done. Over. Shawcross died in prison in 2008. Good riddance. Number three from England is Peter Bryan. Bryan was determined to be clinically insane. He suffered from schizophrenia. He was admitted to Broadmoor Hospital in 1983 after he beat a woman to death with a hammer. After a few years, doctors decided that Brian would be okay to release back into society with extended supervision. Well, I don't know who was supervising him, but they dropped the ball. They gave him permission to temporarily leave the place. So what does he do with his freedom? He goes to a store and buys a claw hammer, a Stanley knife, and a screwdriver. Odd things to buy unless he was going to do some home improvement. Just three hours after Brian was allowed to leave, he went to see his friend, Brian Cherry. He killed Cherry with a hammer. When police show up to the flat, they find a half-naked Brian waving around a carving knife and covered in dry blood. Cherry was dead with both arms and one leg removed from his body. His head had been smashed in with at least 24 blows and his head was partially sawed off. In the kitchen was a frying pan with some kind of meat in it cooking. Brian tells the police, I ate his brain with butter. It was really nice. I'm thinking maybe he wasn't ready to be released from the hospital. He then also told police, I would have done someone else if you hadn't come along. I wanted their souls. 
So their solution to handling Brian is to put him back into the secure Broadmoor Hospital. Ten days later, he attacks and kills a fellow patient named Richard Loudwell. Workers of the hospital heard banging noises from the dining room and ran to find Richard on the floor. His face was covered in blood and there were marks of strangulation around his neck. Richard died as a result of the brain injuries. Brian admitted to trying to strangle Richard with a piece of cord and when that didn't work, he smashed Richard's head into the floor. When questioning Brian, he said that, I was just waiting for my chance to get at him. I wanted to kill him and eat him. I didn't have much time. If I did, I'd have tried to cook him and eat him. If you're interested in what might be going on in Brian's head, well, here's a little hint. They ask Brian if he thinks eating people is normal. Brian's response is, of course it's normal. No, Brian, it is not normal. He would also say that he wanted to kill eight people because he wanted to be known as a serial killer. And he also thought eating people made him stronger. He even named another patient that he had his eyes on. Let's hope that Peter Bryan has said and done enough that they don't let him out again, ever. No cannibal list would be complete without Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, Jeff didn't eat parts of all of his victims. He did dismember most of his 17 victims, though. In Jeffrey's own words, I was branching out. That's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and the arm muscle. It was a way of making me feel that they were a part of me. At first, it was just curiosity, and then it became compulsive. That's not a healthy compulsion, Jeffrey. Not at all. When the police finally got into Jeff's apartment, there were all kinds of nasty things to be found. Furniture made from parts of human skeletons, body parts in the fridge, pictures of dead, naked men. Not a sight any of the police would likely ever be able to forget. Jeffrey was sentenced to 16 life sentences and was killed in prison by another inmate. That's all I'm going to say, and you probably guessed why. I will cover Jeffrey in depth in the future. Enough said. Some other mentions. Andre Chikatilo, the Butcher of Rostov. I am currently working on research for a full episode, or two, but suffice it to say, this Russian killer is a doozy, and even though he would at times say he ate body parts, then he'd back away from that admission, the evidence points to yes, Yes, he did partake in cannibalism. Tamara Samsonova, the Granny Ripper, or my favorite nickname for her, Baba Yaga. I recently did an episode on her, but she deserves to be on the list. She killed at least 11 people, probably more. Another Crime Biscuit two-parter that I did was on Albert Fish. This madman liked to eat children, and his exploits are definitely not something to dive into on a full stomach. Suffice it to say, Mr. Fish definitely belongs on this list. Let's talk briefly about Otis Toole, who will also get a full episode along with his nasty partner, Henry Lee Lucas. Let me start by saying his name is spelled O-T-T-I-S. To me, that's Otis, Otis Toole. But I was watching the videos and everyone calls him Otis, so I'm going to call him Otis too. But the reason I want to touch on him is because when we talked about Kroll, I mentioned a low IQ, and Toole is in the same category. He makes a lot of big claims, and maybe a lot of them aren't true, but he definitely was a killer. He claims to have killed over a hundred, and that is not super believable. He claims he ate people, specifically mentioning barbecuing. Now, Lucas, however, 
claims he didn't approve of eating people, and said he didn't like the taste of Tool's barbecue sauce. That's a good reason not to eat people, I suppose. When Otis is asked why he would eat people, Tool simply says, because I could. And he also mentioned that it was to help save on groceries. When an interviewer asked him if he really ate people, Tool said, you look damn tasty. Yuck. That is it, my friends. That was a quick mad dash down the halls of cannibalism. Some of these cannibals we're going to talk about in depth later, so hold tight for those. For now, I have to go make dinner, so I need to cleanse my palate, which I'll do by watching some forensic files. Hang tight for the final crumb. You can get Crime Biscuit on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you like to get your podcast. Please rate and review, or check me out on Instagram at Crime Biscuit, or send me an email at acrimebiscuit at gmail.com. Here's your final crumb. Unless you're trapped in a snowy pass and you can't find a squirrel to munch on, don't eat people. It's rude. Thanks for joining me. See you next time. Mm-hmm.